The Scream, known for being a painting. Famous for being screamy. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why The Scream is secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. My two guests today are Cody Johnston and Katie Stoll. That's right, Cody Johnston, Katie Stoll from Some More News on YouTube. Also, it's podcast entitled Even More News. We're also former colleagues at the formerworkplacecrack.com. Now we're all doing our own things, and Cody and Katie are tracking the politics and authoritarianism and bores that are sweeping the world. They're also working with friends of this show like David Christopher Bell and Katie Golden. And and some more news is huge. I think I think they're doing a lot to like legitimately de-radicalize people, especially on YouTube. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge that Cody and Katie each recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino or Tongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about The Scream. The Scream is visual art. So, the description of this episode on all players includes a direct link to an image of the painting. You check the description, tap the link, and you can look at it right away. Very easy. Also, do you even need to look at it? Like, I encourage you to, because there are some cool details we'll get into, but but this is one of the few paintings on Earth that everyone has seen. Everyone knows it as a meme. It's kind of in everybody's head already. That's why we can talk about it on a podcast at all. So it's amazing that a painting has reached that status. Also, there's more going on in this painting called The Scream than you would ever realize, uh, unless you're at the show, I guess. Uh, so I'm really glad you're here, because you're about to see that painting and meme and everything else that's become a whole new way. So please sit back or board your plane to the country of Norway, because you're listening to this episode as vacation prep. Good thinking, very smart. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Cody Johnston and Katie Stoll. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Cody, Katie, it's so good to see you. And I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. I've, either of you can start, but but how do you feel about the painting The Scream? You, do you got something, Cody? You want to go first? Um, sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, uh, I mean, it's, I, I, I like the painting. Um, I guess my, like my relationship to it, uh, isn't deep or anything. I think my first introduction to it, like all things for me basically was, uh, the first like five seasons of the Simpsons. Um, like as a child, you're like nine or 10 and like you absorb all of their references. Um, so I think it was, um, Homer, they were like going to go to the museum and then Homer's like, do they have foosball at the museum? And then he imagines playing foosball with Michelangelo's David and he beats him. He's like, I beat you, Michelangelo's David. Who's next? And then the scream comes out and goes, me! (laughs) Um, And that's it. That's, that was my. That's a good story good reference a, yeah that's the, my first my first introduction Mine's to, to the painting very different <laughs> i mean i'm sure you're gonna a, say and, like yeah the simpsons and a little and a little personal if i'm gonna be honest um what if, katie what if yours is the same and you just repeated that entire story like <laughs> no 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 no, no. So, and so homer like and like then, most yeah. things in my life uh my first exposure came from the simpsons yeah. no um I don't remember when I was first aware of The Scream, uh, but my first real boyfriend had like like a print of it oh. in his dorm room. And so I kind of weirdly associate it with losing my virginity. 
Interesting. Katie, wow. Which is a cool. very, which is a very <laughs> different, but I, you know, I, I just, I know that that, I, I don't know much about it, but I know that it was there and I would look at it and <laughs> this was like my mm. first. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's my <laughs> relationship yeah. to it. Man, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, which maybe I don't know. It's a, it's, it's scary. A scream. Maybe, maybe it explains why it took a while for sex to be very enjoyable. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reach. It is like I, I think I don't know a lot of people who own it. The one other episode of this podcast that has been about visual art was about American Gothic, which is the same mm-hmm. way. Like it's kind of, no, most people don't own a picture of two stern Iowan farmers. You know, it's, right. sort, it's sort of not like. Home art, you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting yeah. that they had a, a dorm scream. Maybe it was a sort of I'm artistic uh, sort of thing. Exactly, mm. exactly. <laughs> he, he had other things, just, you know, a general, you know, it's like that first place dorm room. You know, it was a good school. He was a serious kind of guy. I don't know. But yeah, he definitely yeah. had some some art prints there. But, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's because it is that like uh, you know, th- there's a point where a lot of these pieces will get like, oh, it's just the, it's the famous painting that is more in like references and parodies, yeah. Um, than than just like a person who's like, I appreciate this and I want I want the print of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his family was very artistic, and I don't know, um, but I did laugh out loud when you sent the email. Oh. It's like, well, I've got a story for you. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to have to share that story. That's too big of a coincidence. <laughs> I, I'm remembering, I'm pretty sure I had a poster of the painting Nighthawks in my college dorm room. It's by, it's by Edward Hopper. Mm. It's like two people in a diner and then they're all kind of looking yeah. off into the distance, you know? Yeah. And I think, I, I think me and everyone else I knew got our posters at one sale at the start of college. No one brought posters. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. You go to the big tent, they got all the rows, you got, here's the bands, here's, uh, what, Jim Belushi, uh, in, uh, the movie. John Belushi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John Belushi. No, no, no. I'm thinking of Jim Belushi and Mr. Destiny, actually. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Think of John Belushi and Animal House. All right. One other question about it is, and it's very specific to this, but have you ever been to Norway? I have not. I've never been to Norway. I have not. No, I have not. Would love to. You don't need to have gone, but uh, this, this uh, is by a Norwegian painter. That'll come up a lot. And from here, we can get into the first fascinating thing about the topic, because it is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that is in a segment called Alexy Works in the Podcasting Store, saving his fun facts for someday. Some of his fans, they left a note on the door. They said, Schmitty, please give me some numbers. Oh, you know, the SIFPod will give you some stats, 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 stats. You ought to know numbers now. And uh, that name was submitted by Matt Hawkins. We have a new name every week. Please make them silly and wacky and bad. Submit to SIFPOD on Twitter or to SIFPOD at gmail.com. Those really good. Beautiful. And very well executed. <laughs> I the, the first like real concert I ever saw was the Elton John Billy Joel Stadium Tour. Really? Rosemont Horizon. Uh, That's a big Chicago. one. Yeah, yeah. That is a big one. It was cool. They had like interlocking grand pianos. It was, it was <laughs> really? Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's My cool. first concert was New Kids on the Block. I was oh. like four. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's cool. Cody, concert? Uh, I think my first concert was They Might Be Giants. That's cool. That's, That's actually cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. I was just tagging along with my babysitter's daughters. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the numbers for this one are also sort of a biography of the artist. This is a painting by the artist Edvard Munch. And his last name spelled M-U-N-C-H, which I pronounced Munch until I researched this. It turns out is Edvard Munch is his name. Uh, the first number is 1863 to 1944, because that's his lifespan. He was born in a small town called Lutten, and then he painted the scream in 1893 when he was about 30 years old, uh, and then died in 1944 outside of Oslo at age 80. So uh, other than some trips, he kind of spent his life in Norway. It's a long life, 80. Yeah, and for an artist, 80 in that time, like 80 yeah, years is a, yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't complain about that. Yeah. His uh there's there a lot of these numbers are about his life being dark and hard. Uh, and it turns out like it makes sense that he's the guy who made this painting. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. next number is 5. Uh 
Five is how many years old Monk was when his mother died of tuberculosis. He then became closest to one of his sisters who died of tuberculosis when he was a teenager. Also, his father was a hardcore Christian fundamentalist. He had another sister diagnosed with schizophrenia. Generally, a a very just difficult, like old timey childhood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That that sounds very, very hard. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) I I mean. (laughs) Uh, And then the most extreme part. Next number is 13. 13 is Monk's age when his family told him that he should prepare to die. Oh, my God. Uh, he, I know, he <clears throat> had, we'll, we'll get past this stuff, I swear. Uh, he, <laughs> he, had, he had tuberculosis, and then, according to the In Our Time podcast episode about Monk, at Christmas time, 1875, he was in a sick bed with tuberculosis, and his father told him to prepare to meet his maker, uh, and he did that, and then he just happened to get better. But so he had a near-death experience at age 13. Wow. And as an adult, he had a pretty wild life, and it seems like maybe this difficult childhood was part of it. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, if, you, yeah, if you're accepting death at that early, uh, you would live yeah. uh, a more... And you've yeah. seen, like, your two mother figures die to tuberculosis, specifically. So, because, yeah, so he's got, yeah, his mother, then his sister, and then him, potentially... Uh, There's like a few famous monk quotes, and one of them is, illness, insanity, and death were the black angels that stood by my cradle, end quote. So it's like, it's, it's, you, you, sometimes you come across an artist, like I remember learning about the guy who played the bad guy in the movie A Knight's Tale, and it was like, actually, the real guy is very kind. Like, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, mm-hmm. this is, the guy who painted the scream is the guy you think painted the scream. Like, it's this kind of life and <laughs> yeah, yeah, situation yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a series of emo quotes. Right. I mean, so far from what you've said, I'm like, this checks out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so then from there, uh, next number here is five. Five is the number of versions of the scream. Uh, and I sent you guys like uh, images of all mm-hmm. of them. There's some similarity there, but the second version is the famous one. It was exhibited 1893. He also did a crayon version that year. He did a like woodcut print version in 1895. He did a version in pastels in 1895 and then did another whole painting of it in 1910. He did a lot of copies of it and versions of it, partly because he was always tinkering with it, but also partly because he made a lot of money as an artist. And so a lot of his works across his career, he would sell and then redo. Yeah. Um, to try to like still possess everything. I really yeah. like the crayon one, actually. I was going to say, it's so interesting to see stuff like that. Because obviously, like, you know, you can use crayons to do like some amazing things and artists, it's a it's a tool for artists. But um, it's also associated with children and, and when children draw. Yeah, and so, you like, see this. This one is like, oh, so like, a talented child tried to copy the scream with crayons. <laughs> yeah, I think I think also a lot of artists will choose to call those pastels if they're using them, but I am somewhat calling them crayons yes, yes. because that's what it is. Let's call them what they we'll call yeah, it like yeah. it is. Also, he has a pastel version, um, and then the crayon version. Like yeah. there, there are two distinct uh, things going on, and uh, it's like, yep, that's crayon. Got his, <laughs> got, his cra- got his crayons out. The other the other fun thing about how Monk did art is that he believed in letting his art get damaged, like physically. Okay. Uh, he felt mm-hmm. that like once something happened to it, that was part of it, and that was part of the deal. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's like neat, and also he really leaned into it. One one thing with the main version of the scream is when he was working on it, he it was really late at night, and he got sloppy about blowing out a candle, and he blew wax onto it. And so one way people can tell which one is the real one is there's like a wax splatter in the lower right corner of it. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, That seems to also just sort of go back to being 13 and being told that you need to accept your death, right? Like just things Mm, things happen and like, yeah, that's accept it. That's and then you move on and that's uh, how it goes. And then just sort of uh, uh, taking that and just applying it to every aspect of his life including your scars are beautiful kind of a thing Mm -hmm. too is another way to look at it but yeah yeah Yeah. it happens there's nothing wrong with it it's part of it i think i think all those are right on yeah and then 
And then like the extreme version is uh, he kind of didn't bother to like store anything properly. According mm-hmm. to author Edward Dolnick, Monk would leave his paintings on the floor. Uh, he would also leave them in the yard. And so if they got <laughs> rained on or snowed on or whatever, that was, that was what happened, whatever. He huh. would, when he was cooking in the kitchen, if he couldn't find a lid, he would just grab a painting and put that over the pot. Uh, like th- that's that's what he would use. That- <laughs> and and then the In Our Time podcast says one time a dog like ran through one of his canvases and damaged really? <laughs> it. And he was just like, that's the painting now. That's what I've done. That's, that's my art. Amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love that. Um, I mean, sounds like also maybe he's like, you know, suffering from depression and stuff. But, yeah, um, yeah. There's another explanation. He's like, what can you do? Yeah. But that yeah. is, uh, that's very cool. Just like, like, like letting everything lie around and stuff. Yeah. We're, we're not going to talk much about his mental health, but his adult life included alcoholism, paranoia, erratic behavior, not many stable relationships, times in sanitariums. Like he he did not have an easy go of it. But in the middle yeah. of it, he he also developed these artistic ideas. Right. Yeah. And I really like the idea of him using paintings as lids when he's like boiling water and stuff. That's just very <laughs> It's the kind of thing that like Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's the kind of thing yeah. that like today you'd see an artist do that as their art, not just like yeah. oh, I'm taking my painting, I'm using it as this. Like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make Explore a piece. This medium. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm gonna put paint in a bowl and I'm gonna put that and I'm gonna put it in the microwave and see what that you know. Part um, of my artistic as opposed, expression, as opposed to just like yeah, I'll use a freaking uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever I got. <laughs> That's my best, uh, Edvard Munch. <laughs> I'm uh, painting the uh, screen. I'm a forget about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's Norwegian, right? Right. Mm-hmm. His his famous quote: "I'm painting here." Yeah, I'm painting you. That's the great. Forget about my paintings. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, last number here is fifty-five, and fifty-five is the eventual number of paintings in something that Monk called the freeze of life. And that's freeze spelled F-R-I-E-Z-E, which is like a big tableau or set of images. Uh, according to In Our Time, Monk's career goal was to make one super artwork of all of his artworks. And the, the oh. German word for it is Gesamtkunstwerk, which means total artwork. And so Monk's situation was he kept like making something meaning to put it in the freeze of life and selling it. So then he would need to make it again and like sell it and make it. Again. Oh. And that's why there are so many screams, but also other stuff too. Yeah. Oh, Interesting. cool. Interesting. So we, we know him for one painting, but he meant to do like a super artwork encompassing all of life was his goal. So he did not end up doing that or he did 55 was he ended up doing 55. Yeah. Yeah, he ended up, he first exhibited it in 1902, and then it, like, grew and shrank over the years and was kind of unofficially his goal. But there's there's no way to know, like, the whole thing without it all being in mm-hmm. a building or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, that's interesting. I'm just, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now just sort of scrolling through these. Um, one of, <laughs> he uses the Scream background for one of them, but it's not the Scream. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, like, making it a part, it's a, it's a, it's a part of, of. Mm-hmm. This whole this holistic statement um, of emotion, as opposed to just like, no, I did the scream, and that's what that is, and that's the background, and so on. It's very cool. Yeah, there's uh, I think there's a painting he did called Anxiety that was the mm-hmm. year after the scream, and it's like the same bridge and sky and everything, but a crowd of people with freaky faces, mm-hmm. and yeah. it feels like a sequel or something. Yeah, that one's yeah, yeah. that one scares me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably gives you some anxiety. Some of the faces, it yeah. does. Um, I love the one of the man looking into the water with his chin in his hand. Oh yeah, that one is called Melancholy. He had I I, I don't mean to yeah, pigeonhole him like as it. just doing this one kind of thing, but he did a lot of this kind of thing. Uh well, he was really He kinda did it for himself. <laughs> and we're starting to understand why, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Here's his piece down in the dumps. <laughs> man, I really wish he had artworks like Case of the Mondays and like exactly. I was about to say that same one. <laughs> yeah now now we're in the mug zone now we got it yeah yeah this is great uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, um, he's actually the one uh uh he did the original hang in there baby of the little cat hanging from yeah, the rope, the rope, that was you know? the okay mm-hmm. <laughs> i wasn't gonna do it but i was circling that one too mm. <laughs> 
Oh man, just sell out Monk. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 just doing like little inspirational posters and stuff for like corporation. Yeah. <laughs> Landa, and from here, there's three big takeaways for the episode. Let's get into them. Starting with takeaway number one. Edvard Munch says the scream happened in real life. Oh. This is this is a painting of a situation he was in that happened to him. Is it, oh, interesting. It, including the person? Or is just this a, an event and an emotion that he is using the figure to express? Yeah, how literal are we talking? That's a good question, and I, I'm pretty sure the figure, it's not necessarily supposed to be him, but it's his experience of it. He doesn't look like that weird, uh, like, like hairless, Ghost. odd figure that is doing the screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but his face isn't shaped like that. I would, um. I would say that this this person right here is undead, is what it looks like to me in the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sort of a, it, it really looks like that mask in the Scream movies. Like, it's, yeah. it's this yeah. pale face with without a lot of features, yeah. Edward Munch kept really extensive journals and really extensive diaries, and uh, was a popular artist in his life. We didn't, like, discover him later. But a lot of his selling his art was, like, sharing stories about himself. And according to his journals, he he had an experience that was, quote, I was walking along the road with two friends. The sun was setting. Suddenly the sky turned blood red. I paused feeling exhausted and leaned on the fence. There was blood and tongues of fire above the blue-black fjord and the city. My friends walked on and I stood there trembling with anxiety and I sensed an infinite scream passing through nature. End quote. Mm. So it's just, it's a, he, he just, that's the painting. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh. He had, he had, yeah, he had an emo was... moment. <laughs> so um. wait, it was... <laughs> <laughs> the fire? He was talking about a fire. The, the fire turned the the sky red and felt the in, in the scream. In takeaway two, we'll talk about the sky actually a little bit. Okay. okay. The other thing about Monk is, with all his art, he always said that it was interpretive. There's a famous Monk quote, which is, "I paint not what I see, but what I saw. Mm-hmm. I paint mm-hmm. not what I see, but what I saw." I like that. And then another quote is, art is the opposite of nature. I do not imitate nature. I help myself to its bountiful platter, end quote. Mm. So he's doing a lot of painting yeah. how he feels about what happens. Yeah. So either this happened or it's his experience of it. Right. right. But um, it, it's a very uh, extreme painting. And I'm I'm just amazed that we're like pretty sure he at least thinks it happened. Mm-hmm. And it might have actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you don't... Um see that and go i bet that's that's based on uh uh based on true events or absolutely like, not it's yeah. like yeah like it's yeah he was on the boardwalk and he he looked at at the at the scenery he's like oh, i'm gonna express this feeling and not like no this happened to me it happened to me one day <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and also another source for this is there's a, a biography that's a graphic novel of Monk, it's by an author named Stefan Kvernaland, but he says that uh, that description by Monk was written in 1892, so it's the year before he painted it. But he's describing an experience many years earlier. Uh, he says it definitely happened in the Oslo, Norway area, and art historians think they found like the location. If you go to wow. if you go to Oslo, the city has put up like a historical marker hmm. for the hill where they believe Monk had this like freaky anxious experience that became the painting that's cool yeah i would absolutely do that (laughs) yeah if you're there yeah that's the thing Um, that i would do i'd yeah why not yeah 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 and in the in the graphic novel it switches to photographs because the author goes there and it's on a hill called valhalvayan and he points out other locations nearby that might actually be it but it's somewhere in this little cluster of hills on the outskirts of oslo is where monk decided that the, the sky turned red and and there was a scream going through the world right like, like it's a, a good way to phrase it too he decided that that's what was going on <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah because the the other thing with the title is it might not be about the figure screaming it's actually vague whether or not the person is screaming even though i think of them shouting you know 
Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. They're feeling because they're. I mean, the the uh, the lines in the um, in the painting are um, you know they're you know curved. They're waving. They're wavy. So it is. You get that sense of like reverberation. Um, also, and it's going through yeah. that figure as well. Also, the people in the background do not seem to notice. You know, yeah. it's not a, a literal interpretation of somebody screaming, right? And those and those figures aren't feeling it necessarily. That's true. You you would you would think the two of them would be like, "What's up, man? Like, are you okay?" Yeah, like, <laughs> at, at least like at least a casual turn in the direction. Well, because in the story, he's talk he talks about he's he's with it was say he's with two people, right? Right. Who um, keep yeah. walking? So they keep walking. So they don't feel that moment. They are not feeling mm-hmm. the scream through nature. It's just him. So he's he's sort of the conduit there that uh is feeling the waves and they're very straight lined because they don't yeah they don't they don't saw what he saw yeah they didn't saw what he saw (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and katie that was a great question before about fires or or impact in the sky or something Uh, we can go straight into takeaway number two the origins of the scream might involve thomas edison and a mummy, and a volcano. Ooh, this sounds fun. <laughs> and. You said and both yes. times. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, I'm for interested. Like, oh, it's, it's either this or it's this or it's this. It's like, no, it's it's yep. these things. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that seems to be the team. This is, And this is more theoretical. It's not coming from the artist. <laughs> but uh, we can start with the volcano because that might explain the sky. Like he might have legitimately seen yeah, that a sky be... that looks this color because of a volcano. Right. And that is a scream through nature. Like that's Absolutely. the closest one could get to like, well, it's, yeah, the volcano. Yeah. Or like a, I mean, it's a bit more like a burp or something, but. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. A, pu- a puke, a bit of a puke. It does create. Honestly. I mean, people yeah. scream. I would scream if I saw some lava coming, coming at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tracks. Man, I, I just imagine Dante's puke. Anyway, that's all I got. Uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's all you need. That's, that's it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, uh, the volcano, it's the eruption of Krakatoa. And again, Munch, he painted this 1893, but he's right. He's painting a past experience. And Krakatoa is a volcano in modern Indonesia that erupted in August of 1883, and it was such a massive eruption, it collapsed most of the island it was on. There was a series of global tsunamis that killed tens of thousands of people. Wow. And it changed, like, cloud cover and sky cover for a lot of the next year in wow. the world. Mm. Wow. This is... That could do it. <laughs> I'm reading, a, I'm reading a, a series right now called The Fifth Season. And it is all about a world that... It's great. That, it's so good. You've read it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. just made me, this whole conversation just made me think of it since, you know. Oh, yeah. Fifth season and, yeah, eruptions and, you know, covering the sky. Yeah, do you want to describe that fantasy world a little more? I mean, uh, it is, I don't want to spoil things because the beauty of this book is that it's revealed, you know, like you, you sit in the mystery of what exactly this world is for a long time and they slowly reveal information. But it is, you know, a post-post-civilization kind of a world where uh, there are these seasons that happen and, you know, just wipe out most of humanity and they're... Uh, Father Earth is an actual being that is, you know, there's like a, there's, there's tension between the Earth and humans, but there are orogenes. That's how I pronounce it, orogenes, when I read it, whenever you read a word in a book and you're like, how is this supposed to be pronounced? You know, that can uh, take Earth's energy and move rocks and mountains, but they're kind of vilified, not kind of, they are vilified because people fear them. Um, it's a really wonderful world. Uh, I, I don't want to share too much of it because I think people should read it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, N.K. Jamison is the author. Everybody should check yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, but I'm still working through it. But anyway, yes, uh, volcanic eruptions and, and the sky turning colors and, and f- the effect on, on people and you know is a big part of this novel. Yeah, and like, like apocalyptic yes. uh, geology and... and- eruptions yeah, yeah yeah a lot of it's over my head but i still am enjoying it. <laughs> you know <laughs> just concepts that you know i mean it's sci-fi but it's yeah it's great and and this krakatoa is is kind of like that as i understand it it, it is this is this massive 
truly earth-shaking and in every sense eruption. And according to Sky and Telescope magazine, uh, reports collected by the Royal Society in London at the time showed that unusually red twilight glows appeared in Norway from late November 1883 through the middle of February 1884. The Norwegian newspapers also reported it. Wow. And uh, according to a study led by Donald W. Olson, a physics and astronomy professor at Texas State University, Munch was probably in that spot the city thinks he was and also was likely looking southwest, which would match the like Krakatoa red twilights in that winter. So he's really hmm. just like he just saw okay. his stuff in a real experience and painted it. That's what happened. <laughs> That's the whole deal. Yeah. So maybe he really tapped into that earth energy and really felt the scream, much like the orogenes yeah. in the fifth season. <laughs> um, oh, that dork. Um, yeah, I mean, I, because when you were reading that description, I remembered my first bent college, San Diego, the first time I saw a wildfire and it was pretty close and it turned the sky, you know, that color and this everything and uh, it's, it's incredibly trippy. So I can see how seeing a volcanic, the, the effects of a volcanic eruption would be equally impactful. Yeah, I, I forgot most of California has had this general sky experience lately. Like it's it's just going on. <laughs> yeah, lately, but it depends on how close it gets. That was one of the times where I was really very close to the fires, and I woke up. I went to bed not knowing that there was a fire at all, and I woke up to it being truly red, and this the sun just the most neon color, and all of my posters had curled in on themselves because the window was open and there was ash everywhere. Wow. And I remember thinking. Oh my God, is it too late to find God right now? Oh no, no, no. (laughs) But then my roommates had told me that it was just a fire. Not just a fire, it was awful. Anyway. (laughs) Blenda, so this volcano is probably part of why the, the sky looks that way in the painting. The rest of it, especially the figure in it, has to do with uh, Thomas Edison and also a mummy because there's an amazing article in Wired. It's called How Science and Tech Left an Imprint on Three Iconic Paintings. It's by Kelly Grovier. And again, this is kind of theoretical. Like, we're, we're trying to figure out why a, a painter painted what they did. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there's solid info saying that Monk was living in Paris in 1889, and he, w- he was working as an artist there and studying there. And in 1889, Paris had a World's Fair. It was called the Exposition Universelle. It ran from May all the way to October. It also, there, this big 1889 Paris World's Fair is why they built the Eiffel Tower. It was supposed to be like a temporary tower for the oh. fair, and then they just kept it because everybody liked it so much. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's where we got it. Cool. Him. That's neat. Huh. Munk also, according to Grovier, was very afraid and paranoid about the way technology was going. Because in the 1890s, it's like Edison and Tesla times. They were like, we're going to electrify everything. We're going to do it. And Munch in his journals described having dreams about a mysterious shape that everyone feared, uh, quote, directed the wires and held the machinery in his hand. Like a bunch of spooky, I'm afraid of technology stuff is in Munch's journals at the time. Yeah. Yeah. He would hate being alive right now. (laughs) Yes, he would. Not a Musk Just fan. Just hate it. <laughs> Better believe he would not have a Facebook. <laughs> that makes sense, though, especially like back then, like seeing like a Tesla coil or something like that. Be like, ah, that this is demons. You're you're mm-hmm. you're summoning demon stuff right now. Yeah, even that same year, 1893. I guess Nikola Tesla told the public that power could one day be conducted through the entire world, quote, to any distance without the use of wires. And he said that it is practical to disturb by means of powerful machines the electrostatic conditions of the earth, end quote. Like, people at the time were like, we will science fiction the planet with the power of electricity. And Munch didn't like yeah. it. He was not I mean, into I get it. it. Yeah, 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 We will shatter the earth with our magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the this World Expo, apparently they had a massive Thomas Edison exhibit. They were like, you know who's really cool? Thomas Edison. And uh, they had more than 500 patented Edison products. And then the center of it, there was this big pedestal, and it was a showcase of light bulb technology. 
So it was 20,000 incandescent lamps arranged into the shape of a single giant light bulb. Oh, cool. And <laughs> Munch might have seen it. And the way the theory goes is if you look at like the face and the head in the middle of the painting, oh. that's a light bulb. I was going to. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. what's that is, being represented and is going on. That is the shape of a light bulb and not a person's face. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Right. It's this like is a, secretly huh. interesting. Oh. <laughs> Pretty nice to get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm seeing this depiction of that. That's really cool. I, I, I would like to see that and not be terrified by it. What a cool uh, display of light bulbs. Right. Like now we have light bulbs everywhere. So that would be rad. Yeah, would like, be, like, oh, cool. cool. Look more. at that. Look right. at that little art thing. All right. <laughs> Science and it's art. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like, yeah, just a standard, like, you go to, yeah, like a museum or like anything like that. It's like, oh, yeah, this, look, look what we decided to do for this display. I'm just thinking of L.A. County Museum of Art. There are all those light poles yeah. out front together. It's really yeah. cool. It's nice. Yeah, that is a yeah. a really sweet spot that I always forget about. <laughs> yeah, we like it. It's nice. <laughs> Yeah, and we like we know that Monk saw the art at this expo, but he probably couldn't miss also the the tens of thousands of freaky light bulbs in the middle, right? Yeah. Like he had to have seen that. I think. No, that's makes sense. He he saw it. He got yeah, spooked by it. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he saw it. He hated it. <laughs> and then the the other expo thing is they featured an exhibit that was a Peruvian mummy, like a you know like a dried out body of a mummified person. Oh. And apparently it was sort of a face and shape, kind of like the the screaming figure in the painting. Mm -hmm. So that is also oh, a theory that, would that make, he, he was yeah. influenced um, by uh, a mummy from the Andes Mountains that he saw in life. Oh, yeah. It's all these things. I agree with all these theories. <laughs> this adds up. This ad, this is this is correct in my in my uh, uh, yeah. bad opinion. <laughs> Not a, not a mummy expert, but... So don't at me, guys. Somebody writes in, like, as someone who's been mummified, we're actually a very different color. <laughs> good, good to know. Good to know. Good to know. All right. Off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. But then from here, we got one more takeaway that is much less about the content of the painting. Takeaway number three. As far as I can tell, stealing the scream is a very common modern Norwegian activity. <laughs> stealing it? Yeah, it's somewhat subjective, but these are multiple stories of people stealing the scream and they're really fun and it seems like people do this in norway all the time it's like what's going on just like their their national pastime is yeah. stealing the scream <laughs> there's two main sources for this one of them is a very interesting book it's called the rescue artist it's by edward dolnick who's a journalist and author that's mainly about a 1994 theft we'll talk about and then there's a bunch of other links about a 2004 theft but in the last 30 years 
both of the versions made with paint have been stolen cool. uh, in a pretty high profile way. Sounds like we're due it's for another like one actually. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're lazing about. <laughs> this could be like an ongoing movie franchise. It's already got several sequels built in. Nice. Yeah, it's Nick Cage. I'm going to steal the scream, I guess. Again. <laughs> and uh, this first theft 1994, so the National Gallery in Oslo in Norway had the like original main scream, the 1893 one. It was stolen on February 12th and it wasn't recovered until May 7th. And it was immediately world news because the painting was valued at $72 million. Wait, what was the year again? 1994. And, and that's actually important because it was very valuable painting, most famous Norwegian painting. And the other reason it was world news is... They stole it on the day of the opening ceremonies of the 1994 Winter Olympics in Norway. Oh, wow. So the whole world press was there. And then like over in Oslo, the most famous paintings getting stolen. Yeah, Uh, that sounds like uh, that was the plot, right? That's they they organize. (laughs) They 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 submit. They're like, you got to do the Olympics here. And so, like they do, they do all the Sounds all like- the things to get the Olympics there in order to to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you like go back. And now here's the montage of explaining, like, oh, they did this, they did this, they did this, just to get there. It's a great mm. movie. It writes <laughs> it's itself. Really good, yeah. <laughs> right. They're all at Elliot Gould's house, learning how to steal the scream yes. by organizing an Olympics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> filling out all the all the all the all the things they need to to get the Olympics there. <laughs> Brad Pitt snacking on a Danish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This heist is extremely not Ocean's Eleven, and this museum, it turns out, had a hilarious lack of security at all. (laughs) Two men stole the painting, and it officially took them 50 seconds to get it. What? Less than a minute. Wait, did they they just grab it and go? (laughs) They stole a ladder from a construction site nearby. They put the ladder against a second floor window, broke through the window, took the scream off the wall slid it down the ladder and left. That was the entire heist. That's wow. <laughs> Maybe wild. That's in- incredibly ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> Not a great movie anymore. <laughs> no. No, it's something different now. I feel like getting the Olympics there would be the the exciting part. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. end tag, like the post credits is like, "Oh yeah, and Ben and then they they steal the scream also." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, just like um, gaffers' names are going by, and then the paintings get taken. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Like uh, scream. <laughs> yeah, they they also they like scouted it before they did this, and so they they were so confident the security was bad that they took the painting and they left behind a postcard. The front of the postcard was a picture of three guys laughing very hard, and the back of the postcard they wrote, "Thanks for the poor security." Wow! Like they took the they. In their less than a minute heist, they they still had time to like make fun of the museum for not doing That's a good job. As amazing. as they should. Lesson I, learned, museum. I support that now. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> That's, the uh, just like the, taking the time to rag on them is uh really it makes it makes it beautiful. <laughs> and the other security issues were that the curators had moved the painting down to the second floor which made it easier to steal bad move the w- museum had regular windows like it wasn't reinforced or ah! tough or anything it's like the window in your house you know and then the painting was just on a wire on a hook on the wall not attached to the alarm system <laughs> unbelievable uh, even though it's the scream so, they deserve uh, to issue. get robbed yeah. wait it yeah. wasn't attached to the alarm system but there was an alarm system Wild. yes but uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> so they deserve that postcard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh and then there were no fingerprints, no footprints, and also they discovered that the museum security cameras, uh the museum had security cameras, but the issue was they were so low resolution that they couldn't make <laughs> out the faces of the not masked burglars at all. They couldn't tell who they were. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and they also couldn't tell what kind of car the guys left in. They just knew it was a car. That is uh, so bad. So, That's embarrassing. So, like, they put out an alert, like, we're looking for a um, a car yeah. with four wheels. People. Being driven by people. 
<laughs> it was taken uh, by humans. Uh, we know that. Uh, we do know that. We do know that. It was driven away in a vehicle of some kind. Yeah, yeah. They they stole uh, something. <laughs> uh, we think we think it was a painting. We we are not we're not sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they found but they found it. They got they caught him. They got it back. Yeah. So they they basically caught it because a really impressive art detective tracked it down. Yes. Ooh. See, here's the movie now. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the story is, it's also a detective. His name is Charlie Hill, and he worked for Scotland Yard in London. Yeah. And this is this is not his jurisdiction, but he just felt like doing it. That was his deal. <laughs> yes, yes. That's like the most written detective I've ever heard of. Like... I see him in a long trench coat. Yeah, yeah. It's cold. It was a passion, a passion crime for him. It was like, I'm going to solve this because I, because I care. He care. Is he like an art guy or he just, he cared. He just cared quite a bit. Yeah. It turns out Scotland Yard, which I have learned is a police force for greater London. That's all. Uh, so they were, they're going mm-hmm. way off the, the territory there, but they had an entire art and antiquities team and in his in 20 years of doing this work, Charlie Hill had recovered more than $100 million in stolen art. He'd gotten Dang. Vermeers, Goyas, Titians. Like, he's a total professional at doing this. Yeah, he's the guy you would go to. He's the professional, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you if uh, something was stolen and you only knew that they took it in a car, <laughs> you would go to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's like i've got it from here and you're like really okay i, I didn't, didn't think i helped you have any questions for me or no 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 no. i got this <laughs> he solved a lot of cases it seems like stealing art is a very it's a real regular thing that happens not just from this museum yeah people need to treat their mm. be, be better with their art this book by Edward Dolding, it's very interesting. This is an old stat because it was published in 2005, but he cited an Interpol stat that said the illegal art, art market is valued at 4 to $6 billion annually, Whoa. and it's third only behind drugs and huh. weapons. It's, I guess it's very common mm-hmm. to steal nice art. It's like going on all the time. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, that's, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you would think it would be anything else, not not a thing that I only thought fictional characters did. But it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's very common. It turns out. So Detective Hill is working on this, but in the meantime, like the theft happens, and basically immediately they start getting fake leads from people who did not steal the painting. Mm-hmm. The strangest one is that the press starts getting cryptic statements from two Norwegian priests. And uh, the priests' names are Ludwig Nessa and Bore Knudsen, and they're famous for having like militant anti-abortion views and getting kicked out of the Church of Norway for pushing it so hard, because that's a progressive church, it turns out. Mm-hmm. But they immediately start hinting to the press that they might have the scream. What? Uh, <laughs> and, and the press is like, wow, I guess they have it. But then it starts to become pretty clear that it's just... PR stuff, uh, like like a scheme. <laughs> the the priest put out posters featuring the scream with the tagline, which is worth more, a painting or a child? What? Mm, and there it is. There we go. It's yeah. all just Ugh. like scammy Tacky. anti-abortion promotion. And they, they told the Norwegian government that they would help return the painting if Norwegian TV aired an anti-abortion documentary like nationwide. It was all just a trick. Yeah. And they, did, they didn't have the painting at all. That's so fascinating. What? I, all right. I, okay. 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 It was like, like they heard it got stolen and they were like, how do we market anti-abortion views with the art theft? I got it. <laughs> yeah. Just like guys who are like just reading the news every day and be like, what can we use for this today? What do we, what do we, how do we, yeah. how do we grift around about this? So they're not great. Uh, but that was part of the story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hmm. And so they get the fake tip from the priest. There's also another scammer who tells the government they're ransoming the painting for a million dollars. That turns out not to be true. Like, there's a lot of fake tips coming in. And in the meantime, Detective Charlie Hill is, he's built a whole plan where he is going to pretend to be an American agent working for the Getty Museum. 
Okay. Apparently, in the 90s, the Getty was famous for just buying up all of the world's art. Mm-hmm. And so his idea okay. was, I will like try to fake buy the painting from whoever stole it. I will Smart. fly to Oslo with half a million British pounds in a suitcase, and then I will like pretend to be in the market to buy the painting mm-hmm. and that's the plan that's a, that ended up working out it's so smart okay so he like put out like uh like feelers in like the black market like in the underground like hey by the way i'm looking for i'm looking for the for the painting <laughs> and then they just made that connection and that worked that's interesting i mean i guess that's the, that's a good plan <laughs> like that's what you would do i mean it seems like the obvious plan on <laughs> these guys fell for it <laughs> right like if you if you stolen that like maybe don't maybe don't try to sell it right away <laughs> maybe yeah yeah the thieves were not super smart but it definitely seems like the goal was to sell the scream for a bunch of money so they right. they were willing to take up a guy on this yeah yet. yeah was it like a spur of the moment thing or had they planned it for a long time? Like they knew the Olympics were coming uh, and they were like, well, we want to steal this so we can sell it. So we'll do that. And they're like, here's the plan was put a freaking ladder up there. We'll break the window <laughs> and take it. <laughs> or was it like more, was it more of a, not a snap decision that wouldn't make much sense, but they were, they were art thieves. Yeah. I would say more the premeditated thing and more the definite art thieves thing. The, the one other step in the robbery was they stole two cars. And so they okay. drove away in one switched to the other car somewhere else, which okay. is like a smart. Yeah. You yeah. Know, assuming yeah, the security yeah, yeah. cameras works, that would have really right. helped. Them <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> if they had so. needed to do that, it would have been helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and the other part is there's, there's a lot of chaos in nailing the thieves, but the people they ultimately catch are two people working for a guy named Paul Enger. And uh, Paul Enger was famous in Norway already for two reasons. One of them is that he was a professional soccer player. Uh, he, he's retired now, but he was a soccer player. And the other is that in 1988, Paul Enger stole a painting called Vampire made by the artist Edvard Munch. So... Norwegians are just doing this all the time. Like they just love uh, apparently wow. stealing monk These, artworks. Specifically that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Monkey X just taking their They love them. Yeah, yeah. They love him. He's their guy. <laughs> and it was also the the actual sting was very hard to do because of a bunch of dumb coincidences. One of them is that Detective Hill like uh, meets up with middleman. He's like, "Okay, I've got somebody who knows somebody who can take me to the thieves." And so he says, hey, middleman, let's meet up at a hotel. We'll negotiate it here and then figure it out. Hill and the middleman are at the hotel late into the night and they say, we'll stay here, wake up tomorrow, finish working this out. And then the following morning turns out to be the start of an international convention for anti-narcotics police. So there are hundreds of policemen milling around the hotel the next day. Wow. And the middlemen are like, this is suspicious to us. We don't want to deal with you anymore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What timing. Total coincidence. Just an accident. Yeah. Maybe everyone here is cops. (laughs) (laughs) That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, The other two big bumps are, for one thing, they're like, okay, we'll leave the hotel. We'll keep talking somewhere else. And then on the way to somewhere else, the middlemen get randomly traffic stopped by other police oh. who search their trunk and almost find evidence of the theft. Oh, uh, oh my God. Uh, but don't. Uh, so that that also made them nervous. OK, it's a it's a movie again. It's a, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling yeah, you, this yeah, is yeah. the it's movie. It's not the right actual here. theft, All of uh, this. which is like the opening scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first that's in the first act. Exactly. <laughs> And then the the last like snafu with it is so Charlie Hill like studied very hard for this. Like he memorized where that candle wax splatter is on the real painting and was like very ready to identify it. And so the middlemen bring him to the thieves who have the painting and they like go to show Hill the painting, but they show him the backside first. And Hill did not know that when Monk painted it, he did a really loose, rough draft on one side of a canvas and then did the real painting on the other side. 
And so they they showed him the rough draft first and Hill almost broke it off because he was like, this is clearly a terrible forgery of the scream. And they were like, no, no, the other side. Oh, OK, got it. Uh, so that almost blew it up, too, when he was like, this was a waste of time. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to see. I want to. I want to see how bad the back is. That would like, just like the like going through all of that, and finally it's like just this yeah, little yeah, sketch yeah. of like it's, it's like a, a stick figure screaming. <laughs> like no, it's really this. It's really this. It's really this. <laughs> and then the the other big theft in 2004. This is uh, thieves break into. A whole separate museum. There's an entire monk museum in Oslo because he willed all his art to the city. So they break into that museum and steal the 1910 scream. This theft was, it was around 11 a.m. The museum is open and has visitors in it. And it's much scarier. It's like two masked gunmen. They threaten everybody. Uh. They smash and grab that painting and another painting called Madonna by Munch. And according to Smithsonian, witnesses describe the thieves as clumsy, even dropping the paintings on the way out. <laughs> and then they, they got in a getaway car and left. But it was very like Dark Knight bank robbery theft. It was yeah. like, ah, I'm angry and violent. Yeah, you, know? you got guns and artwork. Things yeah, yeah. are just fumbling all over the place. Wow, the contrast between those two, that's <laughs> very stark. And yeah, because this story, the only other amazing thing about it is that they did find the thieves about a year and a half later, and then Norwegian police refused to discuss how they found the painting like half a year after that. Hmm. They just say they found it and they found it. We're not clear on why they stole it, and there doesn't seem to, to have been an effort to sell the painting. The leading theory is that the art thieves were in an organized crime ring, and the crime ring had killed a police officer. So the theory is that the crime ring was like, we killed a police officer. We need to distract people. What mm -hmm. other crime can we do as a distraction? And so they that, stole the scream from an art museum. That's so... That's wild. <laughs> like, it's just a Norwegian behavior. Like, ah, we'll steal the scream, I guess. All right. right. Like, uh, like, distractions. Distractions, guys. That's the name of the game here. Yeah. And Madonna, apparently. Was that because like that you'd think like, oh, they're just like monk fans or something like, no, no, no. There's like they went to that section <laughs> and they're like, yeah, take that one, too. We got to pile it on. Yeah, 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 that'll do. That'll do. Right. Yeah. It plays into the distraction theory because it's like they had two guys. They got the painting. It was like, well, the other guy's hands are free. Uh, uh, this one, like they were smashing glass and like they were just trying to make a scene. Yeah. Right, right. And yeah, if they're like dropping it and stuff, they clearly don't care about <laughs> keeping it like nice to sell to anybody. It's just like, yeah, take that, take that, take that. They'll talk about it on the news. Right. <laughs> he liked it when his art got damaged. It's fine. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Now it's now it's a part of it. Monk would have been fine with that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what you did there. Is what he'd say. <laughs> you made it better. It's good. That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Cody Johnston and to Katie Stoll for sensing the infinite scream passing through nature with me. We got to be scream pals, you know, screamerinos. Great. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, because patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is Edvard Munch and Norway versus the Nazis. There is a very fascinating alignment between the end of Munch's life and World War II, and so we're going to talk about what that meant for him and his country and the world, and, and there's a lot of happiness in the ending. Visit sifpod.fun for that monkey bonus show, for a library of more than two dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring The Scream with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, Edvard Munch says the scream happened in real life. 
Takeaway number two, the origins of the scream might involve Thomas Edison and a mummy and a volcano. And takeaway number three, as far as I can tell, stealing the scream is a modern Norwegian pastime. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Some More News is a YouTube channel and Patreon page made by Cody Johnston, the news dude, and by Katie Stoll, and by many collaborators. We're linking that. We're also linking their podcast, Even More News, which is perfectly titled. That's what you get. It's great. They are the place to go for like smart and funny and correctly critical analysis of our political moment, which has not gotten tremendously easier. Also going to throw in an extra link to the most recent Small Beans podcast episode featuring the character of Dr. Scott Bug, who is, is portrayed by Cody Johnston and is just one of my favorite comedy things in the entire world. So that's there too. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. And this is, a, this is a good time to mention, I use a lot of books to make this show. Like it's not just Googling, it's a lot of heavy research. And this week in particular, ton of books went into it. There's one called The Rescue Artist. That's by journalist and author Edward Dolnick. And it tells the amazing story of that 1994 scream theft and then recovery. Also linking a great graphic novel biography. It's entitled Munk, and it's written and drawn and photographed by Stefan Kvernaland. Also linking a Tate Gallery's guide to the life and works of Edvard Munk. That is by art historian Frank Hoffert. On top of that, lots of internet sources and links. You can see lots of Monk artworks, including all five versions of The Scream. Find those in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>